You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome. We doing all right? Some of you are doing just fine. The other one, you seem, the, you seem a little nervous. Are you guys okay? I promise you, we're going to be all right. If you don't know who I am, my name is Jeremy. I'm the group's pastor here at Highland. Uh, and it is my privilege and my role to take this great big room uh, and to make the groups smaller and smaller and smaller. And so uh, if you joined us last week, you know that we started a new sermon series uh, uh, where we're going to spend the next few weeks talking about the Trinity. And I think for a really long time, the the church has tried to drive home uh, and explain and kind of flesh out what it means that God is three in one and one in three. There are creeds and confessions and catechisms that are dedicated to helping us understand who God is. And so our desire over the next few weeks uh, is to help you understand who God is, not so that you can give a good theological explanation of the Trinity, but so that in that understanding of God, your faith and your hope and your trust in him can be deepened. Uh, and so we'll start it like this. Here's uh, the first part of the Athanasian Creed, uh, which is written in like 500. It says this, that uh, now the Christian faith is this, that we worship one God in Trinity, in Trinity in unity, neither confusing the persons nor dividing the divine being. For there is one person of the Father and another of the Son and another of the Holy Spirit. But the Godhead of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all one. For such as the Father is, such is the Son, and such is the Holy Spirit. And it goes on from there. And if you're like me, you hear or read those words and you're like, what? So uh, last week, John uh, kind of started laying out the foundation of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and what he shared with us, what he told us, is that uh, the Father initiates, the Son accomplishes, and the Spirit uh, seals, or the Spirit applies. And we see that in creation. We see that in salvation, right? That the Father is the initiator. The Son accomplishes it. And, and then the Spirit carries it out. And so for us, I think that the beauty uh, of our gospel is that we celebrate who Jesus is and what he has accomplished on our behalf. And so we always want to have a Christ-centered gospel. But the difficulty comes when we have a Christ-centric view of the Trinity, And here's what I mean by that. Uh, I don't know what your experience with your father was like. Uh, I I have no idea, but I do know what my experience with my father was like. And so uh, for you, maybe you viewed your father as always disappointed or always angry or never satisfied with you. For some of you, maybe your father was awesome and you could do uh, no wrong. But here's what I'll tell you this morning. 
regardless of how good or bad you viewed your father, our heavenly father is so much better and so much greater. But our tendency when we have a Christ-centric view of the Trinity is to think that everything that Jesus accomplished on our behalf was to protect us from the father that he's somehow angry with us, that he's mad at us, that he's disappointed with us, or that he has a hard time tolerating us. But now, because of Jesus, I guess it's okay. I guess he can tolerate me. I guess he's not super mad at me. Okay, I guess that he loves me. But that's not the picture of the Father that we get from the Scriptures. That's not the picture of the Father that we get from the Scriptures. And so, listen, here's why it's important that we have a three-person and not a one-person God. Does anybody have that friend that has a tendency to bring everything back to them, right? Every story that you tell, every difficulty that you're going through, uh, every, every success that you have, they, they always want to one-up it. Does anybody have that friend? If you're having a hard time thinking of who that might be, it might be you. (laughs) But listen, we get frustrated with that person, right? Uh, We get really frustrated because they seem so selfish and they seem so self-centered. And one of the biggest objections that people uh, will give to uh, the God of the Bible is this. He seems really selfish, Like everything seems to be about him. 89 times in the Old Testament, God says, I'm about to do something. I'm not doing it for you, but I'm doing it for my name. I'm doing it for my glory. I'm doing it for me. And listen, it's hard to say that a single person God can be extremely loving because it would seem that if he hasn't had someone to love for all eternity, then he technically needs us. But the scriptures are pretty clear. So Acts 17, 24 says this, that the God who made the world and everything in it being Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands. Listen, as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Find comfort and hope this morning in the fact that God does not need you. And some of you may hear that and go, oh. But the reality is that is a comfort because only in a three-person God can we find a truly loving and truly life-giving God because he needs nothing from you. He derives nothing from you. Everything he is, he has been for all eternity. He didn't have to create so that he would have servants to love him. He was loved by the Son in all eternity. He didn't have to create to have servants to love Because as we'll see in a few moments, he's been loving the son for all eternity. And so I'll say it again. Actually, I'll let Michael Reeves say it. The way you understand God is going to shape the way that you understand the gospel. The way that you understand God is going to shape the way that you understand the gospel. In the London Baptist Confession, 1689, another really old confession says this, that the doctrine of the Trinity is the foundation of all of our communion with God, all of our relationship, 
all of our understanding of who he is is based on him being three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But not just our communion with God, but also our comfortable dependence on him. This God who's been loving for all eternity, who didn't need us to make him loving, can be trusted. We don't have to wonder if his love for us is going to fail or his love for us is going to run out because he has been loving before us and will be loving long after us into eternity. And so I think the father gets a bad rap sometimes. But the hope for us in this room this morning is that we have a God who is eternally loving, who is eternally affectionate towards his children. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to 1 John 4. 1 John 4. We'll start reading in verse 7. First John 4 verse 7 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not uh, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Again, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, uh, John is not here today and because I'm always terrified that I'm going to disappoint him in some way. We're going to go ahead and do some Greek, right? Uh, and so this is for Pastor John. We're going to get the Greek out of the way early, but we're going to look at the two words, uh, the two words that John uses for love in this uh, two-verse passage that I've just read. And so the first word is a word that uh, refers to us and our love, right? And that word is agapao. Agapau, and that word means to welcome, to entertain, to be fond of, and to love dearly. And so the way that we demonstrate our love to one another is that we are welcoming. We have a fondness for one another. Uh, but in this same passage, when that love is referring to God or the love that is coming out or perceived forth, the word is agape or if you're a West Texas boy like me, agape, right? We've, we've heard that word before. Again, so beloved, let us agapow one another for agape is from God. And whoever agapow has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not, and here's a change, right? Anyone who does not uh, agape does not know God because God is agape, Right, uh, And so we've got this view of love that God has uh, an affection, right? Uh, here's what agape means. Affection, goodwill, love, benevolence. And I just want to point back to affection. 
I think a lot of times we have an understanding that Jesus has affection for us. And how do we know? Well, because he wrapped himself in flesh, the second person, the son, the second person of the Trinity wraps himself in flesh, steps into human history, lives the perfect life that we should have lived but couldn't, dies a brutal death in our place on the cross, is buried, rises again on the third day, vindicating himself, proving that he is who he says that he is. And then he ascends into heaven and he sits at the right hand of God the Father right now, and the scriptures tell us that he advocates for us. So we don't have such a hard time understanding that, man, Jesus has affection for me. I know he has affection because he died for me. But again, we have a tendency to think that I'm not sure that the Father has affection for me. I'm not sure that he really loves me the way that, is that he, the reality is the reason that Jesus was able to demonstrate such affection for you is because of the love of the father to send him. I didn't come here to do what I wanted. I didn't come here to do my will, but the will of the father who sent me. So the next time you have a doubt that the Father has affection for you, just remember that Jesus came because the Father sent him. And so he has a deep and abiding affection for us. And so how do we know that God uh, is love? Well, we know that he's love because his love is outgoing. His love goes out. It doesn't terminate on himself. It's not a look at me, look at how awesome I am, but it's a love that has for all eternity been outgoing. So here we go. The father has lavished his love on his son for all eternity. You wonder what was God doing before creation? Here's the answer. He was loving the son through the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, right? And so for all eternity, God, the Father, has been lavishing his love, sending it out on his son. Uh, John, just, this is for free, uh, if you ever want a good picture of the Trinity and an understanding of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, just read the book of John. It's all over the book of John, which is why I love the book of John. But if you want to see some beautiful things about the Trinity, read the whole book of John. Um, so John 17 says this, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory, which you have given me for you loved me before the foundation of the world, before creation was anything. He was loving his son. You loved me before the foundation of the world, before creation. The father's love was outgoing onto the son. He was lavishing it on the son. The father's love for the son, it spilled out into creation. Uh, I have two sons and one daughter, and I love them deeply, and I love them dearly, and I probably love them annoyingly, because everything they do that's new, I have to tell people about it, right? So they take their first steps, I take pictures, I send text messages, look at what they're doing, look at what my children have done. Almost everybody talks, almost everybody walks. It's not anything super special, but to me, right? I want people to see my children, look at what they've done. And in the 
same way, the love of the Father for the Son, it spills out into creation. John 1, 2 says, he was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. And here's the picture. The Father's love for the Son was so deep and so intense that it spills out into creation so that you can view the Son. Look at my Son. Look at Him. Look at His glory. How awesome is He? How beautiful is He? He didn't create us because He needed something to love. He created us to see the thing that He loved the most, the Son. And so it was the outgoing love of the Father that he had lavished on the Son for all eternity that spilled out into creation so that we, the creation, might love the Son and by that love the Father who would send him. And because he loved us, he sent his Son And so God has lavished his love on the son for all eternity and the father's love for the son. It spilled out into creation and the father's love was most deeply pictured for us, most deeply pictured for us in our redemption. So John 17, uh, 23 says um, that uh, I live in them and you live in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and listen and that you loved them even as you loved me. You want to know the beauty and the picture of redemption? It's not that you were some um, reckless, helpless, worthless sinner who God now tolerates because of Jesus. It's that you were separated from God by your sin. And yet God said, I'm going to adopt that one. And I'm going to give my son to do it. I want to make that one my son or my daughter. We'll talk about why it's important that it's son in just a minute, but we'll say sons and daughters right now. Right? That one is mine. That one belongs to me. I love them. And so I'm going to send you, Jesus, in order that you might reconcile them to me, make them right with me so that they may love me and I may love them even as, and listen, this is a beautiful picture, even as I love you, right? Uh, And so uh, the father doesn't just love us because of Jesus. He loves us as he loves Jesus with the same love. And here's the beauty of that. It's a holy love. It is a righteous love. It is a perfect love. He only knows how to love us one way. He only knows how to love one way. And that is is how he loves us, as he loves the Son. As he loves the Son. Let's continue in 1 John. Verse nine. In this, the agape of God, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. He sends Jesus that we might live through him. And so the father's love isn't only outgoing and has been for all eternity, but the father's love is life-giving and has been for all eternity. 
So the father's love is life-giving. The father has given life to the son for all eternity. And here's where we'll go with that. So the father, the son, the Holy Spirit, um, three persons, one God. They uh, are distinct in three ways and three ways only. And that's that the father is the father, the son is the son, and the spirit is the spirit. The father has been the father for all eternity. The son has been begotten of the father for all eternity. And the spirit has proceeded forth from the father and the son for all eternity. But there is no distinction in substance, in essence, in will, in plan, or purpose. The Father is the Father, the Son is the Son, the Spirit is the Spirit. And the counsel of the will of God before the foundation of the world was to place his love on you through the son that you might be redeemed and reconciled. But he has been giving life to the begotten son for all eternity, which means that he's good at it. That the promise that he's made in the scripture to complete the good work in you that he started in the day of Christ Jesus means that he will accomplish that will, that plan, and that purpose. And the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they are all working together towards that end. So the Father has been giving life to the Son for all eternity. And the Father has given life to creation. Right, So we see in Genesis 1 a beautiful picture of the working of the Trinity to create, right? You see, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then the scriptures say, God said. And what we know from John 1 is that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and he was with him in the beginning, and without him, nothing was created that's been created. And so the Father in eternity initiates creation. He sends out his living Word, and then the Spirit of God applies it. So he says, let there be light, and listen, there was light. Gives life to his creation by the word of his power. And then probably one of my favorite passages in all of the scripture, Genesis 2, says that he makes man in his image. And the way that he says it isn't to speak it, but he reaches into the dust and he forms a man. And the scriptures say he breathes life into it. So giving life by the word of his power and breathing life into man created in his image, he gives life. And in him are life and breath and all things. And so uh, his father has been giving, or the father has been giving life to the son from eternity. The father has given life uh, to creation. And then the father gives us new life through redemption, right? 
The Father initiates salvation on our behalf by sending the Son to live the perfect life for us, to stand in our place on the cross, to rise from the dead, to defeat sin and death and prove that he is the co-equal, co-eternal with the Father and then sitting at the right hand of God the Father right now and advocating for you and me. So 1 Timothy 1 says uh, that this love of God has now been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, right? So you wanna know that God loves you. You wanna trust that he's not done with you. You wanna trust that he hasn't washed his hands of you. You wanna trust that he's not disappointed in you, The scriptures tell us he loved you so much that he sent his son whom he loved and for love Jesus came that you might be reconciled to the father. So the father gives life to the son for all eternity. The father gives life to to his creation, and then the Father gives us new life through redemption. The Father is demonstrating his love, showing that he is loved by lavishing his love on the Son for all eternity, by, um, by um, that love spilling out into and onto creation, and then demonstrating that love even more through our redemption. He's not a God who is frustrated and done with us and angry with us, but a a God with great affection for us. You mean he likes me? He doesn't just love me, he actually likes me? He can actually please the heart of the Father through his Son? Which I think is just a different way to think about the Father for us this morning. We believe that Jesus loves us. We have a tendency to believe that the Father tolerates us, but he's not tolerating you this morning in Christ. He loves you with a deep and a fatherly affection. So how deep is the Father's love for us? Well, his love for the Son is the pattern and the power for his outgoing and life-giving love. You wanna know how much the Father loves you? We only need to look at his love for the Son. And that's because if you don't write anything else down today, write this down. The father loves us because of his son, because of his son. So the father loved the son for all eternity. And then uh, in uh, his deep abiding and rapturous love for the son, it spills out onto creation. But because we couldn't love the Son or the Father the way that we were called to, sin enters the world and then we are separated. (laughs) But then Ephesians 2, but God. And uh, there I would like for us to read, but the Father being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. He made us alive. And here's why we read it, the Father, because he made us alive together with Christ. Because of everything that Jesus accomplished on our behalf, the Father loves us, right? So the Father loves us because of his Son. The Father loves us through his Son. 
Right? So if you're in Christ this morning, you can rest assured that the Father's view of you, even in the moment of your deepest shame, is holy, righteous, perfect, because Jesus' death on the cross was a propitiation for you, which means that any wrath that God had towards your sin was exhausted on Jesus Christ on the cross, which means there's no more wrath for you. The altar is closed. You don't have to return year in and year out, day in and day out to make sacrifices of lambs and goats and bulls for your sin. Jesus paid it once and for all. And now the Father loves you through the Son. So the Father loves us because of his Son. The Father loves us through his Son. And then finally, I said it before, The Father loves us as his son. If you were with us uh, last summer, a little bit before, uh, we memorized Romans 8. Does everybody still remember all of Romans 8? Perfect. Uh, So Romans 8, 14 would say that if we are led by the Spirit, then we are sons of God. For you haven't been given a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've been given a spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father. And so if you are in Christ this morning, the scriptures are clear that you have been given the spirit of God. And even if you go to verse 16 of Romans 8, uh, it says that you have the spirit and that his spirit testifies to your spirit that you are sons of God. And so I said earlier, I would tell you why it's important that he sees us as sons. It's not uh, misogynistic. It's not because John didn't love the ladies. It's because Jesus was the eternally begotten son of God. And so when God looks on you, when the father looks on you, he sees the son. I will love you just like I love my son. You will be a co-heir with my beloved, eternally begotten, eternally loved son. So he loves you because of the son. He loves you through the son. He loves you as the son, as he loves the son. That's a great comfort for us this morning. So I've said it several times now, and I'm going to say it again. I don't know what struggle or circumstance or situation or joy or trial that you're walking through this morning. The father is not done with you. He has not washed his hands of you. He is not simply tolerating you. Listen, he doesn't regret sending Jesus to save you. He's got a deep, abiding love and affection for you this morning. Let's pray. Father, you are good and your love for us is profound. We thank you that you love us in spite of us, that you love us no matter how good we are, no matter how much we have it figured out, or you love us no matter how far we try to run. God, your love for us does not depend on us. It depends on your nature and your character and your son who you lavished your love on for all eternity and sent to us that we might have life through him. 
that we might be reconciled to you. Father, we wanna love you more than we do. We wanna see you as beautiful. We wanna see you as loving and caring and kind and affectionate towards us. Where we failed to do that, forgive us, help us. We bless you. We thank you for Jesus and the blood that covers a multitude of sins. And we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. So now we wanna give you an opportunity to be able to respond to this loving father who has lavished his love on you. Through sending his son that you might have life, that you might be reconciled to him. And so we're gonna open up the altars and you're welcome to come and move towards the father who initiated, who moved first towards you. If you're not sure what to pray, we'll have requests and celebrations that have been submitted over the course of the last week on the screens behind me. But here's a question that I want us to wrestle with as we leave this room today, and as we head into a week when we're gonna get to talk about the son. If the son was sufficient for the father, just for his love for all eternity. Here's the question. Why is he not enough for us? Why do we wrestle with the sufficiency of Christ? So I'm going to step away. I'm gonna allow you guys to come and to deal with the Lord as he leads you. But know this this morning, that he moved towards you in salvation. Let's move towards him in hope this morning.